Welcome to the Heroic Hour, the podcast where we discuss and bring together technology, leadership, and culture, giving you a little heroic TLC to get your growth engine revved and mission ready for life. I'm your host, Nicholas McGill, Chief Experience Officer for Heroic Media. Thanks for joining us on Episode 9. I am so very grateful you're listening to uh, this humble podcast and have gone along this journey with me. I recently had my 31st birthday and I, I took some time to reflect on, on my journey thus far and the business moves I've made, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I thought that what I'd do on this episode was I, I want to pass on um, some advice to, to anyone and everyone out there who is thinking about starting something new or different or ch changing course uh, with their practice or their lives or their teams. And so in this episode, I'll be sharing 11 tips, 11 things that I do uh, if I were starting from the ground up or looking to pivot and transform my company and my life. So before we get into that, I love sharing all of these wonderful elements of growth strategy, both personally and professionally. And I work with a very special team to do this, to, to elevate, to connect, to grow people, businesses, and ideas. And this is what Heroic Media is all about. And, and that's the company that I founded. And, and what we do is we build and implement growth strategies from thought to profit. And we love every minute of it. So if you like what you hear and you need some advice or you need to hire a team to help you with your business, check us out at getheroic.com. That's G-E-T-H-E-R-O-I-K.com. There you'll find some epic content, insights, links to our corporate site uh, where you can learn more about how you can grab a cup of clarity from or, or a one-on-one -on -one with, with us or me if you'd like. You can have me come and speak or brainstorm and train your team. And there's so much more uh, to it than that. We, we offer quite a bit. So be sure to check it out at getheroic.com. All right. Thank you so much for letting me share that with you. And without further ado, let's start the show. So in the 15 plus years that I've been on this crazy heroic journey, what takeaways come to mind? You know, thinking of looking to turn around a, a business or, or looking to grow both personally and professionally. Well, you know, we got to start with a good start. So let's start with a goal. So number one out of this list of 11 epic tips, uh, if I were doing it all over again, that I'd highly recommend you consider. Number one is aim big. And I know people take this for granted. They assume that you're going to, they assume that you're doing the relevant amount. You know, you really got to think, who do you want to work with and at what level? Because meandering with the answer, being vague with that answer and taking anything that comes your way, it, it sounds adventurous, it sounds romantic, but it's, it's incredibly foolish and it can lead to a lot of problems. I've made this mistake and had to restart far too many times because of it. Everyone is not your customer, right? It, they're not your, your target or your ideal client. Dream bigger. Dare to dream of a client that you actually wake up to, to live, to work for, to really enjoy working with and, and creating value for. You can dream big. Who do you want to work with? If you struggle to answer this, you know, take the time right now. Find a piece of paper right now. Draw a line down the middle 
so that, so that you uh, have two columns side by side. That's hot dog way if you're in the second grade. And start by mapping out what, you know who you don't want uh, to work with in, in, on, on one column, on one side, on the left-hand side. I bet you can think of tons of ideas of the characteristics of people that you do not want to work with. People who are small-minded, people who are scarcity thinkers. I just helped you with two. You may need to get a second pen just to, you know, get all the ink out for this exercise. But when you got a list of 10 to 20 items down of, of people and characteristics of the types of clients you don't want to work with, then move over to the other side of the column and start defining the opposite or the better condition for each item you placed in the first. So if, if you don't want to work with scarcity-minded people, you want to work with abundant-minded people. And what does that inspire? What does that mean? How do they think about their business? Map it out, list it out, and, you know... Dare to tell your clients that up front. Be up front with your advertising about that. Also, you know, when I'm talking about aiming big, we, we uh, in our business kit, we talk about this quite a bit where we say pack your bags. And, and it's really the question of what is your big audacious goal statement? That's what we mean when we say pack your bags. Bags is an acronym. I used to never know the answer to this, uh, but that's not really true. I did. I was just too afraid to admit what my preference was because I knew it would mean uh, it would take a lot of work, right? Aim for the stars. I don't care if you're 14 or 55, aim big. I started hustling and trying to, to create businesses before I was a teenager, right? Think of it this way. If there were five rungs on a ladder uh, that could connect you to from where you are now to where your ultimate goal is, where that big vision is, and each rung represented one of those five stages on your path to achieving that goal, what would they be? Map that out. Define those five stages. This way you can break down your journey and focus on one rung at a time. Climb that ladder. And seriously, think bigger. Aim higher. If you aim for the floor, the best case scenario is that you'll hit it. If you aim to plan, you know, if you plan to settle for less, then, you know, you'll design for less, you'll position for less, and you may receive even less than you were planning on. So think bigger, aim bigger, design bigger, and it'll allow you to get more. It is that simple. Aiming for anything by its nature will allow you to get closer than not having a target at all. Don't be, don't wander without a target. And don't learn this the hard way. I'm speaking, you know, from doing it right, wrong, and in between. I've done it every which way, and I reflect on it now, and I really think that, you know, if you were to aim big, you'd design big, you'd think big, and accommodate uh, for, for those goals. So don't lose faith in yourself to have that big goal, but make it a serious goal. Don't make it just a, a reward. Don't set a goal of, oh, I just want a million dollars. That doesn't help you. That's not aiming. That's a reward not a goal. All right, so number one was was aim big. Uh, so moving on to number two, start with an adaptive brand, a brand that can become anything relevant to your specialty area. One of the few things that I'm proud of is, is creating kind of this mothership brand early on. You know, you got to think like a media company or a production studio, you know, studios that crank out movies. Um, and big conglomerate brands that crank out sub-brands and products. You're designing superheroes. You're designing comics. I mean, uh, by creating that mothership brand, you can create many different things, many things underneath it, but and you can test things, 
but be, this way you become a kind of a startup factory. You you build your entrepreneurship into that entrepreneurial endeavor. So you it gives you the ability and the freedom to th act like a, a a think tank, a media company, or a consultancy. But that brand that you've created at the core is one that excites you and charges your battery. You know, for for me, I love the idea of becoming heroic because. What, what that really means to me is I, I wake up every day and have to ask for more from myself than the day before. It's really a calling. It's, it's this advancing, growth-minded, you know, uh, positive mindset. It, it's, it's a force for good. And these are all things that I, uh, you know, that excite me, that relate to others and give me a way to relate to others. Because there's a lot of times when I feel that I'm not doing a great job. I'm not the most personable guy. I'm not the best salesman. There are so many things I'm not good at. But uh, you know, I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to do better. I'm always trying to advance. So, you know, think about that core brand and what wakes you up, what excites your team. What are you really about? What's your idea? What's your heroic identity? Right. Let that help define a brand and a flag that you'd sail under for at least a decade or so. It's it's as much for you as it is for your customers. People forget that. They tend to design and think of brands. And think of businesses and these concepts only on a one-sided path. Either they think entirely of themselves or they think entirely of their customers, but rarely do they think of both. Remember that that brand is for you as well. And, you, you know, you can always temper it. You can always change it. You can always create sub-brands. But I, I'm a big fan of, of starting with that kind of startup factory mindset. Having an epic brand, that, that, that conglomerate brand, that startup factory that allows you to spin off ideas, create new productions, and figure out what works for your customer. But it's ultimately uh, connected to you as well and charges your batteries. And you know, under that, uh, under that that concept, is this: is is that substance matters. So many people try to build platforms without any original content, no substance, no character, and then they complain when they recognize that that they're commoditized. When your business doesn't have any any insight, has no character, you're a commodity. You're going to find yourself in a price war. You know, the message is often more important than the vehicle that, you, that you're distributing it through. So if, if all you're doing in your practice is regurgitating the headlines and hard work of other people, you don't really have a message and you are the vehicle. And that's why you're a commodity. And this happens often. The vehicles that deliver the message kind of change so quickly that they're quickly commoditized. The message and content, if it's good, will persist. It'll carry on and continue to be carried as the mediums change, right? If your content is good, if the, the core of your brand is, is a timeless character, you know, if you like it. it this will persist. These things will carry on. You'll find a way to articulate your story, your journey, your services and products and allow them to take new forms because underneath it all, you've got substance. You're starting with something. You're starting with insight. You're starting with character. You're starting with values. And it gives you a lens on the world that helps you serve other people. Now, it's okay if you like somebody else's content, but you know, rather than just sharing it out there, you know, tear it apart. Be super discerning. Look to see the imperfections. Look how you see you could refine it or do it differently. Form a hypothesis and put it to the test in the market. This is how you build uh, substance. This is how you build a brand of substance. So you want to start with, you know, number two was start with an adaptive brand, you know, and make it substantive. You know, uh, create that mothership brand that fits for your skill set area. 
and and work to create something of substance, of meaning, of value, and purpose. Number three, focus on product. People buy products all day, every day, faster than they can blink an eye, even if they don't use them. But when it comes to services, they hesitate and they think about it or they take longer to convert. Services give people pause. People buy all sorts of junk, but the idea of services, especially those that are provided by other human beings, requires greater evaluation and scrutiny. And this is something that I've reflected on over a long period of time. Think about how much junk you buy that you don't end up using. Think about how many services you subscribe to, right? So which is leaner? Is it, is it the junk in your garage or the gear that you don't use? Or is it the services? We tend to notice uh, vampire services a heck of a lot easier than we, we recognize underutilized products and purchases. It's in our nature to do this. And so the reason I bring this up is you want to tailor your business to create products, especially in this day and age. Now, um, this is going to get complicated because, of course, you could call a, a service a product and sell it as such, and it often outperforms the standard model of the service provider doing the exact same thing. And that's because services tend to be um, vague or broad and taking on a large role, and, and when products you know, are often more well-packaged services in terms of the value they deliver, they're just more focused on delivering specific benefits, or at the very least, the real difference that I've found is, is that they're just better, they're more articulated. People can wrap their minds around them, they're more concrete. And that's why you want to focus on the product. Services provided by people, you know, they require a lot of active work day in and day out. And as a service provider, you constantly have to pour your tea. That is, you know, pouring your resources of time, energy, and attention, your tea, into keeping that service relevant for the day and age that it's, that it's in. And, you know, even office work in the service sector is like the manual labor of our day, and it's commoditized as such. So be aware of this you know, as you're, you're building things out, as you're looking to do things, whether you're trying to be entrepreneurial inside an organization or entrepreneurial outside of an organization and creating something wholly new, be wary of, of a strict trading your time for money for too long. It's totally fine in the beginning as you master a new dis discipline, you know, you're building relationships, but be mindfully looking for ways to uh, create products that help people along the way. This will help you create things that allow you to scale yourself professionally and augment the value of your time. I can't um, say this enough. Out of all the things, looking back on a 15-plus year career, um, if I, I wish one of the things that I would do differently was create more products earlier off, you know, way earlier in the game. It's okay that they can be seemingly, they can be so small. They don't have to be huge. They can be small, tiny, and helpful. You know, uh, focus on the helpful stuff, the stuff that really solves a problem. It can be, you know, the air freshener in a car or the equivalent in a business. The tiny things matter. But if it's packaged, if it's tightly packaged as a nice little product, it helps you, uh, it gives you a force multiplier in your, in your life, in your career. So number three was, Focus on a product. Now moving on to number four. Number four is have a platform in mind from the start. Now when I say platform, this goes right, you know, this goes hand in glove with the idea of having that, that kind of all-enveloping brand. It, 
it doesn't have to be a huge platform. It's okay if it's a life raft or, or a lifeboat, you know, but start with a product, then create three. You want to map this out and have this in mind from the get-go. Let your time, your one-on-one, -on -one, you know, let that be the ultimate prize for a customer and an expensive and valuable experience. If you want to escape the drudgery of jumping from one gig to the next in a frantic craze, you need to focus on scaling yourself by building a platform. Have a brand, have a product, have a site, take the time to create amazing content and great experiences on that site. You've heard it elsewhere. You're going to hear it here. We'll focus entire episodes of the podcast on that. But the point is, have a platform in mind. It is no longer sufficient to just think of this tiny little nugget of idea and not the business that needs to happen around it. So number four was have a platform in mind from the get-go and think things through. That means taking time to map it out before you execute. And it's okay if things change, but I guarantee you parts of that plan are going to linger and help you and guide you on the path to get you to where you want to go. Number five, let your goals shape the brand. Let your experience refine it and continue to tell the story of, of you know, who you are as a person, as a professional, as an organization, and a brand as you figure things out. One of the things that I know about creating an awesome brand and uh, designing for growth and taking people on growth journeys is that you know we tend to think they look pe people and organizations look at their bigger competitors, they look at even the biggest organizations and those brands, and they mistakenly believe that those brands have got their shit together. Now, sure, those big, huge organizations, they make money, they create things, and they have all sorts of people working for them. But having worked with some of the biggest and most innovational, in, in, <laughs> innovational, uh, the, the most innovative organizations out there, I assure you, they are amazingly dysfunctional, messy, full of shit, and surprisingly chaotic behind the scenes. Don't let the numbers fool you. They are oh so very human. And I'm talking, you know, your big dot coms, your big Silicon Valley companies, they are nowhere near perfect. And, you know, I take this insight for granted uh, often, but if you're cramping your neck as you look up to the Goliaths and skyscrapers in your space, don't be so intimidated by them. When you're small and starting out or starting over or, or do, doing a pivot, you've got several legs up on the biggest and best of them because you can position yourself as a brand on, on a journey of growth, a brand that is figuring things out, that is looking forward, a brand that is an explorer, a brand that is heroic. And you can tell that story as it unfolds and all its misadventures, its twists and turns, because unlike the mighty brands, you have set the tone and the realistic expectations up front and you've invited the world to join you. And, and you offered to be transparent and sharing with your audience. And so they're going to come with you on that ride. This is vastly underrated and essential to business. And it takes years to turn around the big players to bring this degree of alignment and authenticity into their brands and organizations. So in this way, you can be more powerful, more nimble, and more disruptive than they uh, ever could. Because it, it, takes, uh, it takes a lot of force. As a tugboat who gets paid to steer those big ships, I'm telling you, it takes a lot longer to turn them around. So another way of thinking about this to, to, in terms of letting your goals shape the brand, you know, uh, 
don't don't work like a contractor. I don't care if you are one technically on paper. I want you to think like a brand. Welcome clients onto your platform. Bring them onto your platform. And this is really important because it's your raft, right? This way you can have them engage on your terms where you're the guide, uh, you're the storyteller, it's your boat, and they're paying you to take them somewhere. So take ownership of that, own the experience, and stay in control of what you need to to make sure that the experience is awesome for them. Now, and and I'm sp- earlier on in my career, I thought I was doing my clients a favor by kind of looking at, at a blank slate and building their platforms for them. And the problem with this is I wasn't welcoming them onto my platform. I was standing in an open field and say, let's build a fort together. And, and this is really like building a boat for someone who doesn't know how to drive it, doesn't know the river they're on, and doesn't know what they're doing. It doesn't end well. And when things go south, they blame you. It doesn't matter whose true fault it was. Ultimately, you're going to get held responsible. They will not take responsibility. Your customers, your clients will not take responsibility. So you may has you may as well, um, you know, not allow them to drive in the first place. Welcome them on. Welcome them on to your platform. Engage them in the context that you know uh, you're, you're confident uh, that you could guide them to success on. Them's the ropes. Don't allow them to steer the ship. This is huge advice. People take this for granted all the time. Don't allow them to steer the ship. They want to. They came to you for a reason. They came to you with a problem that you are there to help solve. So help solve it, but don't allow them to be the guide or have a hand on the wheel. They will crash the car and blame you for it. Now, also, the other part of this was capturing the story as you go. Capture the portfolio piece as you go. Get the testimonial as you go. I mean, by design, design your organization to when energy is riding high, take the time to map out the journey and get the client or the customer to write a testimonial early when the energy is high. Require, you know, clients to submit a journal in some way in your engagements to manage expectations and and be super quotable um, throughout the journey. You want to get that testimonial throughout the journey when you still have quite a bit of leverage. This is another kind of strategic concept, but oftentimes the client or customer knows that testimonials come at the end of the experience, right? Well, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't have to. You can give them a, a, a test, taste test and ask them, hey, how did that taste? And then you can have, they can be quoted for saying, oh, that was amazing. I love that. I would love some more. You want, to, you want to balance that out throughout the journey. Don't wait until the end because you might not have enough runway um, and other th- situations can occur that, that may uh, not allow that testimonial to, to happen at all. So tell the story as it goes. Let it unfold and grab the testimonials and that feedback throughout the journey. All right, number six, hire, network, and spend time empowering A-level players and fire the underperformers that drag that add drag to your practice. Now, I'm going to put this in abundant parlance uh, uh, with you, or abundant language. Life is abundant with choices. Life is abundant with A players. So don't think that everyone you run into is irreplaceable. That's not how the game works. A-level players are, are, you know, they're worth seeking out and they're worth holding out for. 
If you have a network of mediocre professionals that you barely know, that is far less useful uh, and more of a vanity metric compared to a well-vetted and well-groomed success team. So who are your 20 all-stars in your network, right? Who would you want to join your board? These are the people you need to connect to. Just because you know a million people and they know of you does not mean that they're good referral partners or that they have the clout or respect in their own communities to make a successful referral or to give good insights and so on and so forth. Do not assume that the wisdom of the crowd is true because you could be dealing with um, a stupid crowd. It's my beef with a lot of this stuff. There's, there's more. I'm an advocate of discernment, not of the, not of just the crowd and aggregate all the time, every time, every day, every which way. That does not work. That is an ineffective, very vague strategy. That that is for organizations and people who do not have faith in themselves, who do not have a brand, and haven't really taken the time to know who they are. So number six, hire network and spend time empowering the A players in your life, right? Number seven, filter and discern and remember the heroic golden rule. And I say this, I think I've said this almost on every uh, episode, but the heroic golden rule states, you know, that you should cultivate that which serves you and hit the eject button on that which does not. And guess what? Everything is subject to evaluation through this rule, including friends, family, spouses, religion, everything. You are responsible for your, your life. There are far too many victims on this planet, far too many people who need help and need saving. You need to step up your game, take ownership, and you need to be heroic, right? In the age of infinite options, choices, platforms, channels, you know, it, discernment is king. The filter is king. The discipline of how we filter, the, the apps that allow us, that help us filter and help us narrow down to what's really important and essential become increasingly more valuable. So if you're practicing the golden rule, you're a human filter. You're being a discerning professional. You will be a sought after commodity if you know your stuff and you're helping people narrow down the options to the ones that are truly in service to them and empowering. There is so much great stuff to do, to have, to learn, and to become. But the reality is you can't do it all. Your customers can't do it all. You got to make trade-offs. And you need a personal discipline and systems to help you discern what will truly serve you, what will be great, and what's merely mediocre. And this is especially true of stepping up, taking ownership of, of the people in your life, as well as the behaviors that uh, you're displaying and, and performing on a regular basis. So when I say filter, I mean, let's let's break it down to some practical advice. You know, filter the notifications, kill the email, kill the news, cut the cord on commercial television. You know, it's not worth watching all those commercials. There's so much great content out there. There's no reason to tolerate, you know, the mediocre forms of entertainment. Cut the vampire subscriptions. Beware of the software as a service model. You know, nobody wants to pay the Adobe Creative Suite a monthly fee for Photoshop anymore. It's ridiculous. You want to be mindful with the apps that you consume and the notifications that they create as well. And don't spend hours of casual gaming when you have a goal to get shit done. You know who you are, Candy Crush, Pokemon Go playing peoples. And then, you know, when it comes to trade-offs, uh, here are a few trade-offs that I'm actually proud of. 
Uh, I prefer to play sports. I chose a long time ago to play sports versus watching them. I have nothing against it. I love a good football game, but they're they're long, uh, and I don't enjoy them. I don't enjoy watching from the sidelines or from a screen as much as I do playing them. That's just me, and maybe that'll change later on. But on weekends, I'd I'd rather be out rucking with friends, doing races, doing real things than watching hours of other people doing things and all the commercials that come with that. That's one of the big trade-offs that's a time saver for me. Okay, so number seven was all about, you know, uh, filtering, being discerning and remembering the heroic golden rule, cultivating that which serves you and hitting the eject button unapologetically on that which does not. Brings us to number eight. Don't let the cost of acquiring a customer exceed or equal their lifetime transactional value. This is like a basic, uh, a business basic to me, but it might not be known to you. If you spend $5,000 in six months to acquire a customer who is only going to do $3,000 worth of business to you, you've not only lost $2,000, but all of the resources, uh, all of the resources associated with the hard cost of delivery as well, because now you have to spend the time performing the work. So pay attention to how much uh, you, you spend how much tea you pour into the time, energy, and attention you pour into acquiring and serving customers, and how much you make over the course of the relationship. Don't assume that you get a guaranteed relationship that is as long as the actual lifetime of that customer. Make sure you know how to keep the relationship going and the money flowing your way and delivering value at every step. It's it's a horrible thing, but it happens because. People struggle to measure the cost of customer acquisition. If you're getting lost on social media, if you're spending 40 hours a week on social media to come out with one lead that doesn't convert, and then over the course of the year, you only get one lead who converts, you need to measure the cost of the activities you're doing to bring in leads because I guarantee you there are more effective means of lead generation out there. Okay, so... Don't let your CAC, cost of uh, acquiring a customer, exceed the lifetime trans va transactional value. Number nine, hold on to leverage. This is going to be a little bit more uh, tactical and, and a little bit harder to grasp, but this is really important. Leverage is what gives you a seat at the table and a captivated audience uh, in the first place, right? I used to believe that as, as an idealistic person, as a guy who aspired to be altruistic and a, and a heroic professional, that, that acting in good faith and doing what is right meant showing my hand and showing how everything works up front, right? That, that you know, people will, but the reality, I guess, and, and this, is, this is like running around with, uh, with uh, cash in your hand all the time. You know, you're going to get robbed often, far more often than other people will. The reality is if if you show the people the plans up front all the way through, they will take the plans and run if you let them. So stop giving away the plan for free or at the very least, leave out critical keys to it just in case. Leverage comes in many forms. You know, it could be unique knowledge and insight or power, uh, like uh, power in terms of audience or control of a platform or ownership of assets, etc. But if you give away all of your leverage, thinking with this mentality, this idealistic mentality that, you know, one altruistic action at a time, one huge leap of faith at a time, that uh, it'll all come back to you, this is foolish. The, the reality is that, you know, it's when you act that way, 
you're basically completely dependent on the mood and the morals and the ethics and the perceptions of the party doing the right, the other party doing the right thing with the information. Now, I care about what is doing, what is right uh, and good and true. And I, and, but I bought into this bad practice of, of giving too much away and allowing people to take, take the plans and run, so to speak. And, and this concept that people buy into, the reason that this happens is, is they believe that if I share it, build it, or give it away, the partnership and the relationship will come back tenfold. You know, it's the classic, if you love something, let it go, you know, give it freely. Uh, if it comes back, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was. Well, this doesn't happen in business with business assets. This rule, this, this uh, give in order to get, this um, be generous up front, it's, it's really a rule of character, meaning the real rule you should operate with in terms of being an altruistic or idealistic person is uh, generously give in, in kindness, be a generous person uh, in terms of your character because it bears exponential returns as does sincerity and authenticity and humility every now and again. This does not mean generously give what gives you leverage in the, the conversation and negotiation of a business transaction. Giving away leverageable assets of the deal, hoping to build a good relationship, will result in a false relationship with people who only keep you around as long as they continue to receive value at that low price of free and and. Uh, total control on their end uh, of the table. That's like a toxic relationship. And even if you want, you know, wise up and and you want to cut off the free train of all that free value you're giving, you're likely to settle for low amounts as you have very little leverage and uh, you have very little leverage built into your model if you're giving away too much up front. These types of clients, this relational dynamic is not the type that you want. I don't want you to get robbed or become bitter or cynical before you learn to be mindful and responsible for the experiences and exchanges you create and influence with your clients and customers. What I am telling you to do is, is to be kind, frame the value, speak candidly, but do not show your hand until the check is cleared, right? So number eight was hold on to that leverage. Number nine is get the little things right. Do less, but better. You know, this this is really important because we all get lost in the, the, the idea and we beat ourselves up about uh, wanting to do more in a given day or, or in a week. And we really need to stop worshiping the idea that uh, of high volumes and start caring about the level of, of conversions and engagement levels with what you've got. You need to get the little things right. Focus on a small, tighter game that scales more effectively. Because if you overbuild mediocre crap at a, at a rapid pace, this isn't likely to bring the type of clients that you ultimately want. And, and doing that will train you, this trains you to cater to, you know, customers who in turn create, you know, encourage you to create crappy products and in, encourage you to attract even uh, weaker customers that you don't even resonate with and who in turn won't fully appreciate it. Uh, uh, appreciate it with the same level of value as as your target market. And the reality is, you know, aiming to create in volume a very crappy product, sacrificing that quality to create a value based, you know, the, the value product, the door knocker product, the world doesn't need another Kmart version of whatever it is that you're thinking of doing. It doesn't. We don't need another Kmart version of it. Stop thinking this high scale, highly mediocre, watered down crap mentality. 
get the little things right. Focus on making tinier tweaks with a with a, a better, tighter, leaner product. Do less but better. Become an essential product. Don't become yet another product. Get the little things right. Number 10, for the love of God, just swing already. You know, the you got to get the failures out of the way as fast as possible. And, and that means getting to market as fast as possible. This means getting your at-bat as fast as possible or your multiple at-bats as fast as possible. This means building and shipping products instead of services as, you know, as quickly as you can. It took me years just to sit down and hammer out a book, not because I lacked the content uh, or the ideas, but just from this fear of failure, you know, like I wasn't taking the swing. And when I, you know, reflecting on that, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to make those mistakes. Failure is part of the game. Pay attention with each at bat you get and for the love of God swing. And if you fail to make a hit or, or you have some takeaways and some ideas as to what went wrong, you know, that's epic. Keep going. Swing again. You'll get another at bat. Do not give up on, based off the first failure. It's almost guaranteed. Spend some time doing the post-mortem review and see what you need to change, right? I think the, the biggest misnomer with failure is that it's permanent. This is, that's what kills me. That's what stops me in my tracks from time to time. I struggle thinking about uh, some of my personal failures because, you know, that I can't go back and change. And I hate that. But at the same time, I can make damn sure I'm better the next time and that the that failure, that that failure to perform at whatever it was does not persist if, if it's something that I truly care about. And my biggest tip here to navigate that space that keeps us from swinging, that keeps us, you know, from from taking that leap that we need to take is to to find a place, build an environment, build an accountability group where you can pitch in front of them, where you can demo it in front of them. And if you're going to fail, it may as well be a small failure in front of trusted friends who want to see you succeed. Take it as a practice round. This is huge. Fail in front of your accountability group. And to me, if you don't have an accountability group, check out the Heroic Insiders group. Go on getheroic.com right now. We have plenty of rooms for, for plenty of channels for you to pitch this pitch on, essentially. Share your ideas. Get feedback now. Take, you know, take a softer stance with what you're doing. It's okay. It's better to fail behind closed doors than to fail epically up on stage, right? This is what practice is about. When, so number 10 was, for the love of God, just swing already. This also means practice. And, and practice means you're doing the thing that you need to do. Look at everything as practice and find ways to practice behind closed doors. That's my biggest tip uh, for you for, for number 10. And I think it's incredibly important because it's so much easier to step up on those big stages when you've, you've spent so much time practicing on the smaller ones. All right, number 11. And this is huge. It bears repeating. Guess what? There's no silver bullet. And, you know, uh, like so many people, teams, organizations, I've spent hours, weeks, months, and years chasing easy buttons before I arrived at this big truth. Guess what? There aren't any easy buttons. There's a lot of talk about them, but at the end of the day, there's just a lot of hard work that needs to be done. Learn to climb the pile. Become a workload warrior. Don't run from the work. Stop perfecting the art of procrastination. It does not serve you. There are no silver bullets. There are incremental iterative improvements 
and and it's amazing the the process of turning a dung heap into fertilizer uh, to allow things to grow. Guess what? That's where we all start. It seems pretty crappy, and then you you keep going, you keep churning it, you you keep working with with that compost, and eventually uh, it becomes this rich environment full of epic things uh, to grow out of. Now, so those are my 11 tips. This has been a long one. That's all the time we have today. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Heroic Hour. Now it's time to get your energy up, to get you moving around a bit, to get heroic, to go for that victory lap and feel alive. I'll catch you the next time. Let's crank it. heroes welcome to the hidden track after party the secret little bits of nuggets that i like to give in between uh the the sounds and the music that you're rocking out to for those who are really trying to elevate their games elevate their energy um so i talked a lot about the tips that i had in uh, upon reflecting over my career and i wanted to save the the tech tips the specific little tangible nuggets for the hidden track after party for those just to benefit those people who are are getting their energy up who are getting psyched to enjoy this um you know i thought long and hard about all of the things that i buy and i buy so much junk i buy i'm such a tech hound i buy all sorts of things but you know the reality is if i were to do it all over again what would i really care about what was essential what persisted what lasted the longest what gave me the best uh value and, and I am a computer nut, but I will tell you this. I broke it down into a few simple things here that here we go. Look, if you're starting out or you're making a pivot, buy the biggest and best MacBook Pro uh, that you can possibly get. Put it on the credit card. These are the things that I believe are worthy of using a credit card to buy. Get the biggest hard drive, period. Do not skimp on the hard drive or the processor or the memory. Max it out. This thing, you know, the the MacBook Pro lasted the longest. It served me the most. I'm recording this podcast now on a 2013 uh, MacBook Pro, uh, and the only thing, the only complaint I have is the hard drive was too small. So get that big hard drive. Next, of course, you know, I go with a, the essential communications device that I'm lethal with is the, is the iPhone. I have nothing against Android. I love Android devices as well, but I don't have time for the errors, the bit rot, uh, the hacks, the, the stupid little things that break it down. And I also don't have the luxury on missing out on a tool that may allow me to create better content or graphics than the other guy. So Apple's got an edge up in that, that category and the product just works solidly. There are so many decisions that I don't need to make uh, on my phone that I don't want to make on my phone because I'm so busy hustling in my business. Uh, now, along with that, in terms of the web, I use Bluehost Cloud uh, web hosting. It's fairly new to them. Um, 
There are other cloud hosting uh, projects out there. I like SiteGround too, but it's it's kind of expensive and there's limitations to that. So I prefer Bluehost. Um, I've been using them for years. You know, make it happen by the account, by the cloud hosting account. That's it's great. So that on top of that, you can deploy Google Apps. Don't use Bluehost deployment of Google Apps. Do it yourself. Deploy it right. Um, I absolutely rely on Google Apps every single day. Uh, for real-time collaboration and all of the tools in the space and the drive and the online files. Uh, I use it in so many ways. We've written books on it. We write the scripts for the, these podcasts on it. Use it every day. I also use Dropbox. Uh, I'm weird like that, but I use it every day. These are the things I think are worth paying for, worth having, uh, and, and worth getting. If you wanted the leanest operation but still be remarkably effective, these are the things that I would get. Anyway, this episode has been epic. Thank you for enduring such a long episode. And now it's time to rock out. So enjoy this. I'll see you next time on the Heroic Hour. Hey, 